0: Good morning once again. We are so glad, like I said, that you have joined us. You know, Jake uh, gets up here on stage and he uses uh, that stage time at times to embarrass others uh, by calling to light great things about them. Um, And he's so humble, but Jake's kind of a big deal, guys, because I don't know if you know this or not, but he won the 2020 Award for Civilian of the Year with Public PD. That's... I mean, it's a big deal. He's looking at me like with daggers. I can feel the daggers, but I don't care. This is how it feels, Jake. Welcome to the other side of things. You're welcome, and you're awesome, so enjoy it. Um, Now, with all that aside, uh, we are in week five of our series called Affected. We're looking at how Jesus affects the way that we live our lives, and we're going to be in Colossians 3. We're going to uh, be in verses 15 and 17 today. Really short passage, but there is a lot of important things there. Now, I don't know uh, how many of you like to listen to Christian radio, but uh, Casting Crowns has a really cool song out right now that I love. I love pretty much everything they do, but it's called Only Jesus. Um, and the lyrics, at least part of the lyrics, goes something like this. I don't want to leave a legacy. I don't care if they remember me only Jesus. The gist of the song, right, is that when they die, when they move on, when they pass on, they don't want to be remembered. They don't care if they're remembered. They only want Jesus to shine through. And it's a wonderful goal, and I think it's a beautiful sentiment, but I'm not sure how realistic it actually is, because the fact of the matter is that we all leave a legacy behind. Determining what that legacy is, is what becomes of ultimate importance. Now, Today, we're going to talk about what that legacy should be. So like I said, we're going to be in Colossians 3. We're going to start with verse 15, and that says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. The task that Paul sets before us is to let peace rule our hearts. The reason is because we're supposed to be unified as one body. And in order for the body to be unified, peace is, a pre, peace is a prerequisite for unity, right? So if we want that unity that Paul is calling us towards, peace has to be a prerequisite in order for that to happen. And if peace isn't ruling in our own lives, we can't expect it to rule collectively in the lives of the church. But what does it even mean to let peace rule our hearts? That's great, pastor. What does it mean that I should let peace rule my heart? It means... That at the end of the day, you allow peace to be your decision maker. When we get down to the nuts and the bolts of the teaching, as Christians, peace must be the arbitrator of our hearts, and peace has to be the equilibrium, the, the middle ground, the stability that we are all moving towards and chasing after. And the reason that that's the case is because peace is the legacy of Christ. Peace is the legacy of Christ. In John 14, 27, one of the things that he says to his disciples, he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The culmination of all that Christ did on the cross was peace. Yes, it was salvation. It removed our sin. It it paid our debt. It allowed us to reconcile with God. And what is reconciliation with God? It's peace. It's peace. And so we, as Christians, as followers of Christ, are called to peace with one another and within ourselves as well. What we need to understand is that peace is freedom from worry. Peace is freedom from worry. We are let... We are to let freedom from worry have complete control of our minds. And I'm standing here as somebody who knows that that is a much easier statement to make than it is for a statement to fulfill, right? It's a lot easier to say that that's what we should do. It's a lot harder to actually allow that to happen. But freedom from worry is supposed to have complete control over our minds. And not just if we find it easy, not just if we find it easy. We all know people that seem like, hey, everything just kind of rolls off their back, right? They're, they just hit a bump in the road and they keep on trucking and it doesn't seem to bother them. And then we all know people that are the opposite side of the coin. They hit a bump in the road and it stops everything in their life dead in its tracks. And we aren't supposed to live that way. The fact of the matter is that we are summoned to peace by Christ. He is calling us towards it. More than that even, he is pulling us towards it like a tug of war, just hold on because he is pulling you towards peace each and every day of your relationship with him. But how many of us, how many of us rest in the peace that was won for us on the cross? How many of us are, are more likely to find ourselves riddled with anxiety and uneasiness and questions and concern? Why do we let that happen? Why do we let that happen? As people who were called to think on things above, to rest in Christ, why do we allow things here on this earth to take away our peace, to separate us from Christ? In Luke 12, 22 through 26, it says, then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or about your body, what you will wear, where you work. This isn't in there. What your mother-in-law said to you, (laughs) what that nosy co-worker is spreading about you. Don't worry about all these things. In verse 23, he says, for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, and yet God feeds them. And yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Some of you out there right now are riddled with anxiety, have no peace in your life, and you're thinking to yourself, I'm not much more valuable than birds. And you're wrong. I don't want to call you names, but that would be a stupid statement. Because God has placed immeasurable value upon your life. God has said that you are worth my son's death on a cross. And you have more value to him than I think any of us could really ever comprehend. Because if we did comprehend it, we would never find ourselves in this place where Satan steals our peace and where this world continues to make us uneasy. In verse 25, and oh man, is this a good one? Christ says, Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? You guys ever seen the animated movie The Crudes? You ever seen The Crudes and Papa Crude? I forget what his name is Glug or Slug or Bug or Jug. It's something like that. He, he's the dad, right? And he is a worry wart. Like he wants to keep his family in their cave don't go outside. He has all these rules. He's constantly worrying. The world around him literally starts to fall apart. There's earthquakes and things are like being destroyed. And he's like, hey, we got to go into our cave. We have got to go into our cave. Everybody's like, no, we should probably run away from this stuff. We should probably flee to peace. And he's like, no, we, we are not going to do that. And what would have ended up happening if the rest of his family didn't just say, hey, we're leaving, and he's like, fine, I guess I'm coming too, is he would have ended his life and their lives. Too many of us act like we somehow by worrying are going to add minutes to our life. And the secret to life is, at least from my perspective, I'm not saying you can't do things to make yourself more healthy. I'm not saying, you know, you can't eat right and not do drugs and not smoke and do all the good things and exercise five times a week and get good sleep and drink lots of water. I'm not saying there's not things that we can do, but you see sometimes like people on the news, you live to be 112 year old. What's your secret? I had a Dr. Pepper and Scotch every day. Oh, okay. So (laughs) secret of life, secret of life. I figured it out, right? Like, no, there's no secret of life. It's just, we all kind of have like a ticker. We all have a time where we go, and it, when God calls us home, and it's different for each and every one of us, and some of us are lucky to live really long lives, and some of us are unlucky to live way too long of lives, right? Like, I'm good to go at, like, 65. Don't tell my wife, but I'm just saying, like, no, Jesus, I take that back. If I'm healthy, I'd like to live longer. But I, I love, I see some elderly people in my who, who are just struggling, who life, life is not fun anymore, and they're still around, and I guarantee you they're wishing, like, hey, this could end already. Like, Jesus, at any moment you want to bring me home, I'm ready to go, right? We're not going to add time to our lives by worrying. In fact, it's going to do the opposite. Stress only increases our risk for things like heart attacks and stroke. It's not going to make us better. And Christ says in 26, since you can't add time to your life by worrying, since you can't do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Just stop it. Just stop worrying. Here's the thing. Anxiety. Anxiety. Those of you that struggle with anxiety, and I count myself in that party. Anxiety views life as a test. With every single decision that needs to be made as another opportunity to fail. What if I make the wrong choice? What if I let down everyone? What if people judge me for this? What if it makes me look bad? And what if that makes me a bad mom? What if that makes me a bad dad? What if that makes me a bad employee? What if that makes me a bad friend? And we just petrify ourselves. And we can't make decisions because we're just so afraid of making the wrong one. That's how anxiety that's how Satan makes us view life. Peace. Peace views life as a journey. With every decision as another adventure and as an opportunity to trust God. That's a major difference. That's a major difference in outlooks. Of, oh no, here's another opportunity for me to fail or I'm gonna trust God in this and I can't wait for the journey to continue. One is happiness. One is depression. It is majorly different. In James 4, 13 through 17, it says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are missed. Hey, this is one of those things that like the Bible just kind of punches you in the gut. Some of us have like these really lofty views of our life. Walking around with t-shirts that say I'm a big deal. Or like we buy our spouse a t-shirt that says I'm with the big deal. Right? (laughs) I haven't actually done that. I know it sounded like from, I know that from experience. If there's a shirt, probably buy my wife I'm just saying, but So many of us have this elevated view of what our life is. And here comes Scripture to smack us in the face and say, you are mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And what I'm trying to make clear here is your time on earth, frankly, is insignificant in comparison to eternity. While you're here, you are mist in the wind. And we can do good things, and we are called to do good things, Right? This isn't one of those like, oh, I missed, so I might as well just give up. I'm just going to sit on a beanbag chair and eat Cheetos for the next 30 years. No, it's not what it's calling us. But, but it's also letting us know that we need to understand ourselves and our role in this world. And that is to serve Jesus. We are missed that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Verse 15, instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that as it is you boast in your arrogant schemes all such boasting is evil if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it it is sin for them okay i want to pose another question but before i do that i need to preface it uh, with at least one disclaimer and i've been open about this but some of you may know some of you may not know some of you watching may have no idea But I personally, as your pastor, have dealt with anxiety for years. It hit hard and heavy when I was about 20 years old. I'm 30 now. So for the last 10 years, I've been struggling. I'm not going to lie to you. I've been medicated for anxiety and depression for the last 10 years. And frankly, I have no desire to stop taking that medication. I don't think that it makes me trust the Lord less. I think that God has given me a tool to help my mind be more healthy, and I use it. And I have no shame in it whatsoever. And I have been riddled with anxiety to the point that the only reaction that I have is to become physically ill. And so when I ask this question, the reason I, I'm, I'm, I'm pointing this all out, the reason I'm sharing this fun information it's because I don't want you to think that I'm asking or posing this question from a place that doesn't know. Pastor, you say this, but you have no idea what it feels like to be anxious all the time, or you, or you have no idea what it feels like to be depressed because of all the anxiety in your life. False. I actually am quite well acquainted with it, way more than I ever wanted or hoped to be. And so I know sometimes that anxiety and things like depression, they are caused by a chemical imbalance in our brain. It's something that's outside of our control. And that at times there's not a lot that we can do about it. I also know that the mind can play funny tricks on us sometimes. And that there are things that we can do to combat things like anxiety, like taking supplements and vitamins and getting exercise and, and making sure that you know we aren't listening to lies and combating those lies that Satan is telling us with truths that are found in scripture. And so when I ask this question, just understand the place that I'm coming from. I'm not coming from a place of lack of knowledge. I'm not coming from a place of somebody who's never dealt with it. I deal with it all the time. I was dealing with it this morning. But now to the question. Thank you, Trey. For Christians, for Christians, might it be that anxiety is a result of arrogance? Mind you, I'm asking this question to somebody who struggled with it for lots of years. But for Christians, might it be that anxiety is a result of our arrogance? Okay, trained, enough. You see, earth standard sees anxiety as a lack of confidence. That person has anxiety because they are not confident in themselves. And if you're a person that's anxious a lot of the time, you've been taught to kind of view yourself in that way. Well, I'm anxious because I don't have confidence in the decision that I'm making or how I'm living my life or how I'm parenting or how I'm this or how I'm that. That's Earth's view of things. But we aren't looking or or working or being viewed on earthly standards. Okay? For Christians, anxiety stems from relying too much on ourselves. That's why I say arrogance. Because what happens? The the reason that we get into this spot as Christians, I, I already admitted. Sometimes I know, right? That there's a chemical imbalance, and we have to do things. But a lot of the time, the reason that we become anxious as Christians is because we are arrogant enough to think that we have control over all these things that we are just worrying about all the time. But we are missed. We are a vapor in the wind. We are here today and gone tomorrow. And God is the one that's in control. Anxiety stems from from this belief that somehow I can control it all. And I'm the one that has the power to to make all of these things happen. And if they don't happen, then somehow that's on me. And guess what? That is false. False. Sometimes you can do everything right and it still doesn't work out in your favor. That's the result of living in a sinful world. And those of you out there that are petrified of making decisions, questioning whether or not that's going to diminish your worth, you're wrong. God loves you no differently. Your family is going to love you no less. They're going to view you with the same eyes. We have to place our trust in Jesus. We have to have a realistic view of what it is that we control and what it is that we can do. I'm famous for a saying in my household at least. We can only control what we can control and we got to give the rest to God. And as I'm getting older, I've begun to realize that I control a lot less than I thought I did. I control whether I put pants on in the morning, whether or not I brush my teeth, and the direction that I drive to work. But beyond that, There's a lot that's not on me. And and frankly, it's made my life a lot better to realize that it's not all on me. To realize that I'm not the responsible party for every single decision that has to be made. That at the end of the day, what I need to do is place my faith and my trust in Jesus and follow his will and do my best to make sure that I am living according to his word. That's it. And it really does make life so much easier. Seeing ourselves as being in control of much when we are in fact in control of very little only leads to more anxiety. Peace can only rule our hearts when we submit ourselves to and trust the will of God. It's the only way we're going to get there. And only then can we experience the peace that Paul's talking about in this passage. And because peace was won for us on the cross, we must respond with thanks. At the end of verse 15, Paul says, be thankful. It's a very short message, but it's a very powerful one. Theologian Warren Wearsby says, where there is peace in the heart, there is praise on the lips. Where there is peace in the heart, there is praise on the lips. As Christians, we are called to be thankful, to show our gratitude to God, to others, sometimes to ourselves. We are called to be thankful creatures. As far as what the Bible says about giving thanks, Psalm 107. one says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down From the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like the shifting shadows. That almost turned into a not good word. James 1, 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Ephesians 5, 17, and then 19 and 20. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. 19, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Quick review, the Lord is good, and if for no other reason, you should praise him. If for no other reason, you should thank him if for no other reason you should show your gratitude. But understand that beyond that, every good and perfect gift that comes to us comes from the Father. Amen? Amen. And he is steadfast. He is steadfast. He's not going anywhere. He is there. He is constant. That is powerful. That is wonderful. Thank him. Even when things aren't going your way, give thanks for the lessons learned, which in and of themselves are a blessing, because they produce perseverance. And we need perseverance to complete the act of our faith. We need perseverance to make it to the end. And understand that it is the Lord's will that music come from our hearts, thanking the Father for what the Son has done for us. Being a person of gratitude is biblical, and it's the will of God. Being a person of gratitude is biblical and it's the will of God. If, I was, if what I mentioned just now wasn't enough for you, and that's fine, uh, you're wrong, but that's fine. Here's why you should be a person that has an attitude of gratitude. Scientific studies, we like science, I love science. Science and faith, they go hand in hand to me, at least, I, I, this is what I'll say. Scientific studies have shown that people who are more frequently grat- gratuitous show gratitude. People who are more frequently thankful Have more friendships, have fewer physical aches and pains, reduce toxic emotions in their life like envy and resentment, increase happiness and reduce depression, have increased sensitivity and empathy towards others. They get better sleep, they have increased self esteem, and they show better mental fortitude in the face of adversity. Be thankful. It is valuable. It is important. You should be doing it. If you are a person who is struggling right now with anxiety and depression, you hear me. Because one of the best lessons I was ever taught by a counselor that I went to in, in the darkest times of my struggle was to make a list of the good things that are happening in your life. Because when you are dealing with anxiety and you are dealing with depression, it's really hard to see those things. It's really hard to view those things because the darkness just, for whatever reason, overwhelms the light. That's one of Satan's gifts. He's a jerk. Make a list. Before you go to bed tonight, make a list. Jot some things down. Here's what I was thankful for today and give God thanks. Devote at least one prayer time a day to just being thankful. Not just laying out your list of requests and wants and needs. You can do that too. But devote at least one time a day to just being thankful for the blessings that are in your life. It will improve your state of mind drastically. It will make you better. And Paul follows verse 15 with very practical advice in 16. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another, that's very important, with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. There's gratitude once again. Have that gratitude. You see, if you want peace, that leads to gratitude. And it's this cyclical thing. Peace leads to gratitude. Gratitude leads to peace. And it keeps going and everything's great. If you want that, then you need to let Christ dwell among you. He needs to be an active participant in your life. And this verse and this passage answers for me the debate about whether or not you can be a Christian and live separately from the church. I can be a good Christian and not go to church, false. If you're at home and you're watching online, I'm very happy that you're doing so. I understand why you may not be here because of COVID and other things like that, but if, You are a Christian and you think I can be a good Christian and not actively be a part of church, you are wrong. That is false. You can sit there in your arrogance all day long and tell me how I'm wrong, and I will just point to Scripture. Because it says something completely and totally opposite. You see, we are supposed to be unified as one body in Christ, and that cannot be achieved outside of the church. It just can't happen. We are not an army of one. With that being said, church should, should add to your peace and multiply your thankfulness. That's what church is supposed to do. Lots of us have experiences outside of that, where church has taken away our joy and sent us in the opposite direction. And if that hasn't been your experience, if your experience has not been that that I have experienced peace and my thankfulness has multiplied, then there is an issue. And that issue may be with the church. That issue may be with with a church body that is not seeking peace as their equilibrium, that is not trying to chase after the peace that God has offered them. But some of us, who are always finding an issue with church needs to go into the bathroom and look in the mirror to see our problem. In case you didn't catch that, I'm saying you're it. You very well may be the problem. Church is supposed to be a unified body of believers and we are supposed to be actively working towards that unification. That is the goal. That is what's supposed to be to happen. And sometimes there's addition by subtraction. You may be better leaving a church and you may be surprised how much better that church is for you leaving. I want to be very clear. I'm saying that to no one here. Just in case there's questions. As far as I am concerned, our church is in a more unified place than it has ever been, at least since I've been here. And that is a testament to you guys. So when I say that, understand that I'm just saying what's here in the scripture. I'm not necessarily pointing fingers, okay? Church cannot be and shouldn't be the reason that someone lives outside the unity discussed in this passage. And in case you're wondering, yes, this sermon is going well over, but it's got good stuff and I need to say it. So we'll be here until I'm done. (laughs) Unless you start leaving, and then I guess that'll be really awkward for all of us. We are all connected to Christ. And through that connection, we are connected to one another. Here's, here's a very honest truth. We will never have peace with God. We will never have peace with ourselves if we don't have peace with others. We will never have peace with God. We will never have peace with ourselves if we don't have peace with others. It's just how life works. In 1 Corinthians 1.9, it says, God is faithful. Who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, the Lord. You see, to be able to fellowship with Christ, it's a privilege. In 1 John 1.3, it says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ. You see, we are unified together. We have fellowship with one another because we have fellowship with Christ. We can look around at a church and say, I don't have a lot in common with these people and need to understand that the only thing we have to have in common with them is our genuine love for Christ. That is what connects us. We don't need anything else. This may come as a shocker to all of us, but we don't need anything other than Christ. It's just the absolute truth. In Hebrews 3, 12 through 14, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. You see, we need one another if we're going to persevere to the end. And then in our passage today in Colossians 3, verse 17, Paul says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Literally all things. That's what Paul is saying here. All things, everything you do, in word or deed, the things that come out of your mouth and the actions that you perform, we are supposed to do everything as if we're doing them for Christ the Lord. In this passage, this verse in 17, it can stand alone. It can stand alone. It does not have to be connected to the previous two that we talked about. It and of itself is its own thought in all things, in everything that we do. We are supposed to do it for Christ the Lord. But I cannot view verse 15 without seeing it through the lens of verse 17. You see, we are supposed to seek peace. We are supposed to let peace arbitrate our hearts as an act of obedience to the command that is found in verse 17. We are supposed to seek peace as if we're doing it for the Lord because we are doing it for the Lord. We just happen to reap the majority of the benefits. But we are supposed to do this for Christ. And if you can't seek peace for yourself, then do it for the Lord. You see, life is... It's too short to live in conflict, whether that conflict is with others or that conflict is internal. Life is too short to constantly be waging battles. So take that conflict, that battle that's raging within, and seek the peace that was won for you on the cross. You can live in that peace or you can perish in your own weakness. So my suggestion today, this morning, is to submit yourself to Jesus, accept the peace that was won for you on the cross, and give thanks to the Lord through the way that you live your life, doing everything as if you were doing it for him. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now. I thank you for this day. I thank you for this message. I hope that it resonated with our hearts and that people see that we don't have to live as anxious beings. We don't have to live as if every decision is up to us and that we are in control of all things because we are not. Our goal is to seek peace. And peace is found when we are in equilibrium with you. When we are living life according to your will for us, according to your word for us, that's when we have peace. That's when we have peace. Help us to let go of our arrogance. Help us to trust fully in you. Because when we hold on to these things, we're saying that you're not enough and that we have the answers. And that is just not true. And I don't think that any of us would do that intentionally, but we are sinful creatures and we don't always see the error of our ways. So I thank you for your word that reminds us of the way that we are supposed to live our lives, of how we are supposed to be affected by what Christ did on the cross. Help us to see the world as glass half full and not glass half empty. Remind us to be thankful. To show gratitude, to live life as if it was a gift and a journey and not a test that we are just destined to fail. You want freedom for us freedom from sin, freedom from our flesh, freedom from this earth. May we all just choose that freedom. We ask for all these things in Jesus' powerful name, amen. I'm gonna be back in that corner, ready to pray with any and every one of you if so needed. I hope today that you understand that more than anything, you are loved, that God loves you and that God wants freedom for you. If there's something that you're anxious about and you need to pray about and you need to lay at the feet of Jesus, do it. It will immediately relieve that weight for you. Otherwise, let's stand and let's worship as an act of thanks to our God.